What's up, everybody? It's Chris Denman. We are live, masked and social distance with <laughs> our friend Michael Collier. He's at Helium Comedy Club all weekend long. If you're watching, this is not a ghost haunting a very well-dressed man. This is a damn interview, people. We're getting yes. it going. Uh, Michael Collier, first time at Helium Comedy Club here in St. Louis. Uh, a virgin experience. That is. And I'm They're proud breaking to, me in. I'm proud to shepherd you through that. Thank it's gonna, you. I hope they're wearing protection. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah. If you're not wearing a mask, that's like having sex with a condom. You mm. got to have a mask on today. So it feels great. It feels good and it saves lives. <laughs> uh, so we've got Michael Coyer. We're going to do this, but first, uh, Matt, the producer, is going to show off some studio magic as we're live here at Midcoast Studio. Matt, how does this? Well, it's like we're close to each other, but we don't have to. You know nice. what? Since we are far enough away from each other, we can't remove the mask. No, we. I'm going to come in here so they can see. Oh, we can. Say. We can focus in. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Now that it's official. And let me make something clear about Black Lives Matter because you get people who are a little bit confused about who they are, like Terry Crews, who uh, say stuff like Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that, that only Black Lives Matter or Black Lives Better is what he said. That's not what anyone's saying. Black people are saying Black Lives Matter because for centuries we've been treated like we don't matter. And, you know, everybody else has been treated like they do matter. And that's why we're saying we matter. Probably should be a little comedy that says Black Lives Matter too. Maybe we should add that. But Black Lives Matter means that we are here. We mean something. We have a presence. All you have to do is look. Imagine white folks in America without black people. Wouldn't be no rhythm. You know, y'all would have to have them regular hairstyles. Nobody could find a beat. It would be, I mean, we have a presence here. I'll be so honest. we want to be given that love. And I, I appreciate that, I, and I believe that, and now I have to be appreciative of the uh, suit style that I'll have. Oh, this whole thing? I'm going to steal this style Come from on, you this is what days. I wear when I don't care how I look. You should see me when I dress up. <laughs> You need to be rolled out of bed oh, and you man. come here with it. I love dressing, man. Man, you do it well. My it, drawers have been the same material. They was cut for me. Got my initials on them. Why, do, why does that become so? It, people, we, we're all capable of it. Yeah. Why, does it, why do we all get so... Everybody knows you for uh -huh. this look. We were yeah. talking about other comics earlier. Uh, your friend D.C. Curry. D.C. Curry can I dress now. I think style when I think of him. He could dress. Is that because they, we're... Wait, they say Steve Harvey can dress, but I was wearing suits when Steve Harvey was still wearing hammer pants. <laughs> So, this just, you know, I, I'm old dude, though. You know, I'm senior system. I'm 63, I don't feel a day over 59. And I come up in the era where people dressed. Yeah. You know, even when you watch the TV shows, you see mom and dad come in. Right. My dad always had on a suit. Mom had the little apron. You know, so I come up in the era where people wore clothes. Right. So I even wore suits to high school. I just love to dress. You well, know? you do it right. And uh, I'm going to have to take note of it. Uh, I need to get back on the, uh, on the, this cor the Corona stuff, man. You're lucky I put non- Sweatpants on today. Oh, that's true. I wore that's just like nice. normal pants. So I yeah, was very concerned. So we're, he was yeah. He was like, "You're the host." Uh, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Michael, you're, I did say that when you came in here. I was like, "Oh, you like, well, you the host?" Okay. Surely thought you were a tech guy. Uh, so you're here in town. You're here in St. Louis. People can go see you all weekend. Just a quick note: Helium's doing a wonderful job with the socially distanced shows. Don't say it fast. Helium. We're at the Helium oh. Comedy Club. Five mm -hmm. big shows. Two Friday, okay. two Saturday, Got one it. Sunday. You have five opportunities to miss me. Bring your mama and Pookie and Run Run. Bring them down. Get them off the couch. They won't have a good time this weekend. They Tell them to bring their mask. People need it, man. They People need, need to get out. You probably need it. Have you, you been performing regularly? No, sir. I haven't worked since March 13th. In fact, the funny thing is, How bad are you I was going be? to work Helium. You're I was gonna, in Philadelphia yeah. to do my first, I've never worked a helium club. Really? And I was booked every weekend for four months. And on that day, 
they called and said we've closed all comedy clubs. Right. So I haven't worked doing stand-up in front of an audience since March 13th. And I'm super scared because I gave up cussing 11 days ago. And I have never done, and, and I do an hour on stage. I've never done an hour You're without cursing. A, a first, your first clean hour. It's going to be awfully frightening. <laughs> but it's more important that I'm funny than that I'm clean. But That's I'm going to make it funny. And aside from stand-up and uh, all the respect you've garnered there, your IMDb page is uh, as long as my legs. <laughs> as far as the work that you've done at this point as a legend, as you mentioned, uh, where you're at. What has stuck out in your career? And thank you for being here. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I was serious. I was looking over everything, and I was like, how have you been in all this stuff? But I see it when you walk in here. You're a busy guy. You don't stop. You're moving. You're moving. You're, you've got your Instagram. You've got your podcast. You've got interview shows. You said you're doing mornings. You're right. calling people. You're working on this. So part of it has to be that you hustle and that you stay in front of people. And that way they recognize or are familiar with your mm -hmm. talent. And mm -hmm. when it's time, oh, hey, what about the Michael guy? Mm -hmm. Like what, what has kept you so busy at such a high level? Well, I've, I've always been driven. You know, um, I'm a God man. You know, don't, that don't mean that I'm religious. I'm really spiritual. But I'm a God man, so that means I love life. Mm -hmm. So I wake up in the morning every day with an attitude of gratitude, you know, because I, I could be a whole lot of other places than here. So I'm, I'm an addict. So I did crack for 23 years. And as of this March coming up, March 1st, I have 10 years of sobriety. Congratulations. So, thank yeah, you. that's and, huge. And during my addiction, I lost all kind of opportunities and friends. You know, I don't talk yeah. about it, but my people who, who used to look up to me, are rich enough to pee cream. I mean, D.L. Hughley, Cedric Entertainer, they came to this game looking up to me. But by the time they came in, I had already won Star Search for 100,000, gave half to the homeless. I had co-created Comic View. I had done four seasons of Def Jam. Now they're wealthy and I'm still a day player. Cause when you are getting high, you put your life on hold, right. technically. So I'm, I was like that, the tortoise and the hare where I'm relaxing and everybody else kept doing their work consistently. So now they're in big mansions and they're filthy rich. And me, I'm still a day player. I got to be out here every weekend working. So I'm trying to do catch up. I'm right. dancing fast as I can. And I ain't mad at nobody because everything that happened to Michael Kaya happened to Michael Kaya because of Michael Kaya. So it's on Michael Kaya to turn that around. So that's what I do is every morning I get up, I do my work. I start out the crack of dawn. In fact, I woke up the other morning at the crack of dawn. And I said, Dawn, if you don't get your crack out of my face, no, I'm just joking. That's not even my joke. Uh, that belongs to somebody else. Anyway, uh, but no, I always start my day. I get up with an attitude of gratitude. Every morning I wake up, I do my one-hour morning show called the Michael Kaya Morning Show. It's on Instagram and Facebook, and I do that to connect with people because it's supposed to be about prayer. It started out as a 10-minute show. I do two minutes of prayer, eight minutes of jokes and BS. Now it turned into like an hour and 45 minutes. So I had to cut it down to an hour. And all I do is get on a fellowship with people. We talk, we laugh, we talk about what's going on. We keep it funny. We play music and we get in a really solid prayer every day, you know? And so what keeps me driven is I want my woman to have all the things that my friends have. I, I went on the, um, on, Inst on the internet and looked up Cedric the Entertainer's home. Mm. I burst into tears. It was amazing. Yeah. His swimming pool looked like the Taj Mahal. It's just the, the pool, just it's about three blocks long. If you're if you're pool. three blocks that way here in St. Louis, the, the road's named after him. So Oh my God. <laughs> so you know, and it's yeah. like it's not that these guys, you know, have any greater talent, but they've done their work, man. Right. They've done their work. They stayed consistent. They stayed out of trouble. Me, I was out there, man, three thirty in the morning, looking for them rocks in a motel room with Somebody you generally wouldn't want to talk to on the street. And I was having fun. Yeah. But 
Then I got tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I wanted yeah. to get back into this game. So now I do everything, man. I'm doing, I'm doing weddings, divorces, Passover, hangover. I do a party in the phone booth if you promise to call. <laughs> so you're doing it all. You, you mentioned voices and things like that. You do have a, a voiceover career. Do you mm -hmm. feel like, uh, I, I just find this to be interesting because you do have, you act, stand up, all these things that you do. I love the voiceover stuff because to me, for people like you, it seems like it's the most profitable or it's the best money for what you're doing. Because not that it's, I'm sure it has its own difficulties, but uh -huh. for that, for the reward, is the risk the lowest on that? Like, what, voiceover? Yeah. I don't know. I just know that voiceover is the most exciting thing I've done in entertainment. Really? Yeah, because they... Um, they create a character that look like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I did Princess and the Frog. Sure. So when I went to do it, it was at Disney. Mm -hmm. So Disney is really magical. Yeah. So you go in the studio, and I don't know if you know that they had a thing called the Wizard. It was um, the Seven uh, Dwarfs. Mm -hmm. Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. So they have a wizard's cap. That is the animation building. So when you go on <laughs> Disney, there's a wizard You're cap on that notice goes when you seven in. feet up. Yeah. I mean, seven stories, yeah. seven stories up. So you go in the wizard's hat, you get on the elevator, and you go underground. I didn't know there was underground in California. I wouldn't have a basement, There's no basement in a city that has earthquakes. I just wouldn't have one. Sure. So we went underground. When the corridors opened, it was huge. It was like an underground hangar. And as you walk down the aisles, every cartoon you've ever seen in your life by Disney, the originals are on the walls. So you're walking down this aisle and you're just getting goosebumps. You're just looking at this. So I come in. As soon as they get through, I get to sign the paperwork, they come in and show me the picture of my character. This is, that, this is my oh, point. Okay. I was but like, they what show you got me there? the picture of my character. Yeah. And I'm just blown away. And then it's so easy. It's so easy because you got the words and yeah. you, you do the same thing right. five or six times, but you do it a different way. Yeah. I sort of learned that watching Eddie Murphy. I did this movie called, um, what was it? Norbit. Norbit, yeah. With Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, to me, is the most unsung genius in comedy alive. This dude it's so wild that you can you could he at one point and still you say his name people mm -hmm. freak out but the biggest thing that's ever been like stand up wise right nobody's ever been hotter probably no. right no. but then to still be underrated in some facets like that just speaks to his greatness as a whole that he has been as big as you can be mm -hmm. and still respect from somebody he would respect and and knows that is talented for somebody like you to think that he's still underrated that is that's mind-blowing to think that he oh, no, can reach the levels he's yeah. reached and still there's more. He's still underrated because he's done everything. Yep. You know, he's done film. He saved Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Saturday Night Live was going to be gone. Dead. He became a star. Yeah. And this is at 23. So at 23, by then, he had done uh, 48 Hours, Trading Places, the first Beverly Hills Cops. He had a mad tour called Raw that he had also made as a video. And he saved Saturday Night Live and could wear the hell out of a red leather suit, and he was 23, okay? And, I, and since then, he's done everything. Well, when we did Norbit, you knew when Eddie was coming because it was hot. It was like 90 degrees. We was in the sun working. Mm. All of a sudden, a bunch of white folks would show up and build a tent <laughs> so that it would be shade, and yeah. then they would put chairs under the tent. Then Eddie Murphy would roll in. Then we was like, what? <laughs> That's the way you do it. He sit in that cool tent for a few minutes, then it was time to do his scene. Yeah. When he did his scene, he did his scene four times. I remember we did the scene where I played 
one of the three old guys sitting on a park bench. We're sort of like the Greek trio that walked around and looked at things. And, and he did a scene where he's riding a bike and he hits this stump and gets thrown off the bike. Mm -hmm. We watched him do that four times. He did it different every time. It was magical every time. They could have picked any of those four and used them. And he chose a different thing to do each time. He didn't just try to do the same thing four times. Yeah. He did it different every time. Oh, he's a master, man. It's, it's, it's insane. Do you think he's going to, I guess it's signed, whatever that means. Do you think he's going to come back strong with the uh, with stand-up? I mean, do you think he's going to get out and work the clubs? Like, how is that going to go? I don't, I don't know. I, he would if he hired me to help him write that. Yes. Right. You um, say, hey, you got to go out and you got to go do your stuff. You got to go gotta, show up. You know, it's, you can't be away from stage a long time, that live crowd, no, and no. then just walk back in and magically do it. You got to go in the other rooms and sort of build it he's, and build it. he's capable of acting 60 minutes of stand-up. You know what I mean oh, when yeah. I say that? Like, yeah. he could put that together, but he's not going to be satisfied with that. It's not going to be what... The audience won't really be satisfied mm -hmm. either because you, you understand he's at a, a he's at a, a level in his stardom where it doesn't matter what he say, we're interested. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Just like, I remember when Richard Pryor did uh, Live from Sunset Strip. Mm -hmm. So he was standing there on the stage and they showed people still filing in. And there was a white couple coming down to the front to go and sit right in the front. And he said, well, I'm glad y'all here. I see y'all late. I'm glad y'all sitting down the front because if, um, if my jokes ain't working, I'll pull out my penis and pee on you. Okay? And he didn't even use those words. He used a different word for penis yeah. and a different word for pee. And I was mortified. Yeah. I was like, how can you say that? When I tell you that audience laid on the floor with oh, laughter. Just lost Because it. by then he was... Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. So he could say peanut butter. He'd say anything and people would laugh. That's where Eddie is. Yeah. Eddie could say anything. So the whole thing is, will he come back with the roar of a lion? Will mm -hmm. he come back with that level of confidence where he can just walk out and say what he wants and come up with some interesting topics? Right. If he does that, and he can very easily, he of certainly course. has the ability and the tools. If he does that, He's just going to be another major stream of income for him. You know, he can't yeah. spend all his money. Now, he loaned Jesus some money last Tuesday. He rich. He all made rich. It's really sweet of him, too. Yeah, really sweet of him. <laughs> no, I think about that, too, because it's like, listen, that guy can make anything funny. So mm -hmm. then the mm -hmm. material doesn't have, he doesn't have to be out there facing strife, facing, because you have to think the guy's super comfortable. He's happy with his family. He's happy where he's made it in mm -hmm. life. So that sometimes more extreme lifestyles lead to better comedy, right? I'm sure yeah. you've, you've taken a lot of uh, pain yourself and turned yes. it into material. But yeah, I, I definitely think that, I think it's going to be, it's so tough to judge what he's going to put out against his old stuff. Like that's the, that's the weird barometer he's up against, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it'll be, I think it'll be its own brand, version I think, of entertaining. I think he's going to be yeah. okay, but I just think he should hire me and okay, then it's guaranteed mm -hmm. that it'll be perfect. Just, okay. just hire me. That's my guy right you here. Know, I walk, mm -hmm. I go to the clubs with him. I sit in the back and I tell him the truth. No, dude, don't do that. Don't mm -hmm. ever do that again. Yeah. Don't do it. I teach comedy right now on Zoom. How's that? It's, it's fantastic. It's not comedians. I mean, maybe a third of the class are comedians who are working. But two-thirds of the class are grandmamas and uncles and people who somebody told them they could be funny. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it is often, I it almost feel like an AA meeting. For comedians, because everybody supports everybody, right. and these guys are doing their work. They're coming in with a piece of material. The next week, they're polishing it. I don't let them sit in the camera and just do their face. They got to stand yeah. back like they're performing to a group of people. If people, if, if improv classes are deployed for, like, 
sales training and companies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Why can't a veteran comedian teach comedic aspects or stand up yeah. or whatever? Like that makes sense. And it'll make people more interesting too. Yeah. You're when you're a comic, you're around nothing but super talented, funny people all the time. Do you ever want to tap out of a conversation with somebody who's uh, who's not involved in comedy because they don't pick up social cues or anything like that? No. I always wonder if that's a little bit of a tortured part of being. No, you where just you're keep at. on doing you. Yeah, you keep on doing you. Sometimes if you do you, you give other people permission to really do them tr- themselves. To sure. be, you know, because we're always supposed to keep unfolding into our greater selves. Of course. And a lot of us keep a shell on. We scared we might say the wrong thing or something like that. And. We don't, we don't want to do that. So instead of taking a chance, we'll sort of sit back and hold it in. Yeah. You know, I just always think you never should dim your light to make other people feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. Instead, you should shine your light so brightly yeah. that it gives them permission to shine their light. And right. then they jump in and try to, you know, be more active, more energetic, more positive, more connected, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I try to do. Look at that. That's that, that's what we need. I think everybody should take note of that too. Yeah. So, Michael, real quick, uh, I have the pleasure of working with uh, Kim Whitley, Sherry Shepard. Woo woo! Yeah. I love both of them. Uh, yeah, shout out to two funny mamas. Yes. Um, recently, you were in a documentary mm-hmm. that Kim was a part of as well. I think it's uh, called Dark Girls. Dark Girls, and I think that people uh, would be. I think some people, I say some people, um, maybe people would be surprised at, uh, at what the subject matter goes into. Personally, it's not something I think about a ton. Mm-hmm. I am around folks all the time, so I, I definitely am aware of it. light skin. Yeah, I'm, I am a light skin, <laughs> as they would say. But no, I've seen it more, whereas... Kim Whitley has a lighter shade of skin. So, so real quick, it's about colorism, right? The, right, the, the, the right. documentary. So it's Kim really has lighter about- skin. People get so, if her lighting's off and like this, so we produce their podcast mm-hmm. and they're doing it from home. So it's not going to be perfect, but right. you know. So if her skin tone is a little washed out or it appears she's getting accused of putting creams on, of lightening her skin, all these things. And I'm reading this and I'm like, you you idolize this woman and you feel comfortable saying that to her like and I know her now and I'm like she's not trying to lighten her it's a it's a simple miscalculation on a yeah. on some sunlight or something but, but everyone I guess speak is color to that. aware yeah. yeah everyone is color aware and since the beginning of time it's always been that a lighter skinned folk have always held down darker skinned folk and I'm not just talking about whites and blacks which is traditionally Whites and blacks, white society, Caucasians around the world has marched into other people's land and taken them over, made them slaves, owned their property, and made themselves the guardians of the world. They, they're it, you know, and you're second. Well, even in Africanic cultures, the lighter-skinned Africans has looked down at darker-skinned Africans because there is an international consciousness that white is right. Brown, sit down. Black, get back. That consciousness has been around since the beginning of time. In Africa, people spend $60 billion a year on skin lighteners that they know will cause cancer. They don't care. They will take a chance on getting cancer just so their skin will be a little lighter. It's a status play? It's, it's, it's a status play. It's a status play because that's you, you want some, some light-skinned families of wealth will not let their family marry into darker families. I need to watch the, the documentary that you were part of. So, I, Dark Girls, Bill Duke directed, the legendary Bill Duke from Car Wash and, sure. and, and uh, Predator, you know. And yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's one of those things, too, where you don't even think about it, but mm-hmm. 
Brazil and Mexico traditionally. Like I went mm-hmm. to, uh, I've I spent some time in Honduras and I've been to Mexico and even there and not even getting into more Caribbean mm-hmm. residents of that, but even there native versus the ancestors of the maybe more Spanish ancestry, mm-hmm. they're looked down at, at like more yeah. what we would consider more of like, um, of a Native American, like here it would be Native American, mm-hmm. in Mexico it would be, I guess, uh, Aztec, Incan mm-hmm. culture once you get down into Peru, all that. So even in that too, it shows right. that it, it kind of has those levels to I mean, it but as well. From just is, everything, from the beginning, everything. Yeah. Tarzan, you got Tarzan, a white guy, mm. go in the middle of the jungle. He, he could talk to the animals. Oh, here come the animals, called Tarzan called them. Mm-hmm. The Africans who've been living there forever can't talk to them. They're getting attacked by lions. But talking, oh, here come. So yeah. it's, it's embedded in our culture, mm-hmm. in the culture of the universe. You, you have your wedding, everybody white. You know, you go to the funeral, everybody's wearing black. Mm-hmm. And the cowboys, the good guy, got the white horse and the white hat. The black guy is wearing all black. But when they want your money, it's Black Friday. See what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But that's Michael's what's embedded in our culture. And that's why so many people are locked into racism. Because since the beginning of time, the lighter-skinned people have always said, we are the inheritors of the world. And they've gone into Egypt, knocked the noses off of the Sphinx, knocked the noses off of the great gods and men that were built as statues because it's our noses. It's black noses. Because the, begin, the, the truth, the beginning, everything began in Africa. So all y'all, all y'all African, whether you know it or not, but there is a culture that wants to reject that and wants to say, no, I don't have nothing to do with that because I am the king. We're white and we're the... So when black folks stand up and say, black lives matter, we have worth too. Treat us like equals. Give us value. There's a a group of folks who will say, no, you're not our equal and stand down and we're going to take you over. And so that's what the whole ugliness of the culture of racism is about. Mm -hmm. How come we can't just all get along? How come we can't? How come we can all just get along? How come I can't live in your neighborhood? I don't know if white folks hate me, but I can't live in their neighborhood. I don't know if white folks mad at me, but I can't get in their schools. You know, it doesn't matter about the degrees. Only a percentage of me are going to get in there. They're going to redline and keep us out right. of the neighborhood. So this is something that's been embedded and taught for years and years and centuries. It's been taught. So some of the people who are racist. Didn't even want to be racist, but they've been racist since the beginning of time because you cannot be yeah. born racist. Racism is something you have to be taught. Right. You look at a baby. A baby will smile and go, 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 no matter what color you are. Yeah. When you hold them, but after hearing all in the media, watch out for them black people. Oh, the black man is coming. Oh, somebody's gonna rob you. Somebody's gonna kill you. Now you're six, seven, eight. Now you, you're embedding this fear because sure. it's coming from everywhere. So in that movie, they showed a national uh, test that came out like in the 50s, and they had a little black girl, and they put five dials in front of her. One was really dark, one was really light, and then in, in colors in between. Each time the black girl would pick the white dial instead of the black dial. They said, why'd you pick the black dial? Cause she's pretty. Well, why didn't you pick the black dial? Cause she's dirty, she's ugly. Where do you learn that? In the media. Mm. All day long you hear the beautiful, is that, that pretty thin white nose and the, the pretty cheekbones. And, and so you hear that unindated, unindated, instead of everybody's all right. Instead right. of everybody cool. Everybody's your brother and sister. That's how God meant it. That, I, that Am I your brother's keeper? Yes, and my sister's too. We all in this together. Sure. But if you're like, you over here and you that person, I'm over here and that person, it's always going to yeah, be strife. Work out. That's what it's about. I, uh, I didn't I, even know I came for this. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, do, I do. I say that I wish, uh, I look forward to 
people being able to insult each other and it just be the insult. <laughs> if yeah. I call you a jerk, it's not because you're a black jerk. It's like, no, yeah. you're just a bad person. And if we right. can get to that level, I think that's kind of this is a very simplistic way of yeah, boiling it's, it's it down. It's the straw but, man. Yeah, it's the straw it's a man conversation thing. where I'm yeah. attacking the end of it and going in deep instead of the surface. Right. Let's have fun. Let's just yeah. talk about each other and keep it moving. Uh, yeah. Speaking of fun, I know. Uh, <sighs> Please ignore that chick. This chicken don't have nothing to do with anything. Of, it's kind of being rude. <sighs> <laughs> uh, flight was good. You felt safe coming out here? Not at all. Um, the flight was good. I was terrified the whole mm. time. Uh, I mean, if I'm on the phone with you and you cough, I hang up. I'm nice. telling you, I don't play. So I had a, a I mask. That. I had a mask on top of the mask, then I wrapped around my face some duct tape, okay. and I only breathed through one nostril. Good and uh, but they did on the plane. They did have separate seats. They had yeah. a seat in between us, and um, all through the plane. So you had that. They finally did what is smart, where they loaded in from the back to the front of the plane instead of everybody clamming over each other trying to get to their seats. So that was real cool. They don't serve any meals. They give you snacks in a plastic zip-up. So they just walk down and hand you a snack, you know. Mm -hmm. Everybody wore their mask. All the people working wore their mask. What was LAX like? Or did you fly out Actually, of LAX? Actually, it was really light. I yeah. flew out of LAX. It was really light. It's not a whole lot of people flying. I would have thought it would have been packed since you can get a flight for $9. Um, that's, what, that's why I almost wonder if just due to the extreme nature and everything, and they have to keep things running, right? They've got all the funding, they get, so they yeah. have to keep it running. I wonder if airports are much safer than we would think right now. And they probably are. None of the restaurants are open. Yeah. So you got like two restaurants open when it's usually 40. What about 40? Those $14 magazine shops? Oh, those ain't they're closed. Oh, they're closed. The magazine shops okay. are closed. I mean, it's one or two. Yeah. Just everything is just essential. You know, you got to look out for the essential hookers. You know, are essential workers. Thank um, you. In Japan, they get a stimulus check, the hookers, because okay. they're essential workers. You know, but everybody keep, else struggling. Uh, right, you know? right, 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 right. I came because I got to pay the bills. Else I wouldn't well, get on no plane either. I hope I hope some people come out. I hope it's packed. Uh, oh, it's going to be packed. Safely packed. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Bring your mom in there. I know people are going to enjoy it. Uh, Michael, I can't believe you came in, man. I'm so happy to have had you. And oh, it's yay. It's been fun, man. Absolutely. Wait, it's almost over because we ain't talking about none of my stuff. I'm doing a one-man play. Before we get out of here, let's talk about it. That's what Michael you, you Kaya, That's my mama. Can I get close enough so you can see my mama? That's my mama. That's my life. Right there. That's my mama right there. There you go. It's called, oh, wait, wait, I think I found it. Right there. There you go. It's my play. It's a one-man play called Michael Kalia's Mama. If you like your mama, you're going to love this play, you know? And so what it does, it, it, it you know, it covers my life. Uh, it's a two-hour play. I do 55 minutes with a 15-minute break, then 45 minutes. Yeah. I play 17 characters. Oh my so God. I play me, all four of my brothers, my mama, my daddy, the crackheads in the neighborhood, the bartenders. And it follows my story because, you know, I've been rich three times. But I've been broke 17. So I'm way more comfortable with broke than I am rich, you know. And my addiction. It follows my crack addiction because, you know, I was making money. Robin Williams came to me, told me I was brilliant. I was making cash. And when you get that money, of course, the dope comes in. So I start getting high. And Robin Williams said the best. Cocaine is God's way of saying you're making too much money. So I, I was so high. I remember in the play, you see me coming into the house 3 30 in the morning, sneaking in, trying not to wake up my wife, you know, my heart pumping fast. I'm sweating like R. Kelly in the playground. Mm. And so I come on in and I do it, but you also see me evolve into the reality that everything's about family and God. Yeah. Once you get family and God down, everything else takes care of itself because you get back to self love. And when you love yourself, 
then you love other people and you don't have time for racism and nonsense. All you have time for is to meet your brother and to reach your brother and lift your brother up. And then life gets good again. You know? Michael Collier's mother. Michael mama, Collier's mama. And it's called Michael Collier's mama. The play ain't called mama because it ain't about your mama. It ain't about his mama. It's about my mama. Your it's mama. Michael Kaya's mama and my third book is out. It's called Michael Goes Motivational. You don't stop. It's motivational speaking from a comedic point of view. You know, so that's gonna be part of my my tour of motivational speaking. And I'm hireable. Yeah, I do weddings, divorces, Passover, hangover. Do you know how big of a deal? Like, if you guys have an event and you got you get this star walk in, and, and say people don't know him, like say they're not familiar with his work, the surprise whenever people. I love that part about performance and comedy and everything because. Mm -hmm. I'm too deep into it. I know what people do. I know why they're funny. I know why they're good. I know the work they've put in. But my favorite is whenever people who who work all day and don't have time to pay attention to comedy, they're like, oh, wow, that person was really funny. Like, they're almost surprised. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they've been working for 30 years to be that funny. Wow. So that part you all would enjoy if you, you hire Michael for an event. Yes. I, I'm curious, since you brought it up, what was your relationship with Robin Williams? Was it a passerby? He was, it was a mutual No, it was respect. a passerby because, you yeah. know, I spent nine years Did on Did he Venice ever buy Beach. any jokes from you? No, he just came and saw me on Venice one day. I heard, I've heard the stories, and, you know, I'm not trying to badmouth him or anything, but I've heard he would uh, take people's jokes or maybe part of them and then you would just get a check in the mail like well i didn't him. i didn't know I've about that, that but milton burrow would come to and all y'all too young know milton burrow but he missed the television when it started he would come to a performance and sit on the front row with a pen and a piece of paper and if you said a joke he liked he'd write it while you was telling a joke and go and tell it you know i don't believe in taking people's jokes who are alive but i think it's okay to use people's jokes when they did Really? They can't use them no more. Red Fox created 75 comedy albums. Red is dead. He can't use them jokes no more. What are we supposed to do? Throw away 75 albums worth of jokes? No, I tell them to you. You tell them at work. You're a hero and don't have to pay a royalty. No, I think we need to keep jokes alive, you know? So, yeah, I think it's okay. But a lot of, a lot of comics say, no, it's not okay to ever use another person's that's nonsense. I think if somebody says something funny and they're not here to do it anymore, tell the joke. Keep, keep people laughing at all costs because if you can laugh through a thing, you can get through a thing. And I don't care what that is, you know, because in the center of that is God. Because God always appears as joy. Whenever joy is there, you can say, I ain't see God. Think of your joyful moments. That was God doing his dance, man. And then a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in God, but that's okay. He believes in you. And that's what's really important, you know? So just get up in the morning and grab that life source and get going, you know? Try and be a little more like Michael. This is uh, Good luck on that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming in. Again, go to Helium Comedy Club this weekend. over so fast, though? They told me. Because you're so good. That's oh, what happens. Man. You, you have such a good time. Well, I'll keep you here for four hours. Let me tell them to follow me. Please. Follow me on Instagram under yep. my name, Michael Collier, C-O-L-Y-A-R. Every day of the week, 7 until 8 a.m. Los Angeles time, that's Pacific Coast, I'm doing a one-hour show called the Michael Kaya Morning Show. We pray, we laugh. Every Wednesday, 6 p.m. L.A., I'm doing interviews. Matter of fact, this week, Every Sunshine and Sinbad. Last week, Brian McKnight, and he sang. Every week, we do that. And then every Thursday at 1130, I read books to the children. And we don't do no cussing. We just read the books. We do puppets and everything. The chicken will be there. <laughs> this chicken don't have nothing to do with it. Okay, so anyway, that's me, and you can reach me on Instagram or Facebook, Michael Callier. 
Love it. Guys, check it out. Big shout out to our friends at St. Louis Counseling Services, uh, Mental Health Services right here in St. Louis. You can listen to their podcast, Mental Health Matters, our friends at Jack Daniels for making all of our fun stuff happen. You can check out Drinks with the Band each Wednesday. Next week, we've got Tonina on. Uh, Tonina is an artist from here in St. Louis. Nice. Tours internationally. Guess who's endorser? Who? Barack Obama. So that's yes, a big thing. wait a minute. Yeah. And... I did a book Look at this. on Barack Obama called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the White House. I knocked on the door and a brother answered. Please come down and see me at the Helium. Two shows tonight, two Saturday, one Sunday. Five opportunities to miss me. Bring your mom and them. I love it. Check him out and follow Michael on Instagram. We're going to tag him and all that good stuff. Michael, thank you so thank much. Thank you. God bless you real good. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys.